This episode of The Gourmet Goober is brought to you by SoFoodie. That's foodie with a PH. SoFoodie is the go-to platform that highlights the stories and showcases the talent of brothers and sisters who are innovating and creating in the world of food and beverage. Follow them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at SoFoodie, that's foodie with a PH, or sign up for their email at SoFoodieWithAPH.com. This is JJ Outlaw and T Outlaw, and you are listening to a new episode of the Gourmet Goober podcast. You can find the Gourmet Goober online at thegourmetgoober.com, and you can find me online either on Twitter at JJ Outlaw or always on Instagram at the Gourmet Goober. And as always, I'm here with my co host, my hubby, my BFF, that dude, T Outlaw. That would be me. Once again, I am T Outlaw. You can find me on Twitter at T Outlaw, T O U T L A W. Yes, I can spell. And on Instagram at T Outlaw, Josie Wells, like the movie. Hey, um, also, someone asked me. <laughs> oh, yes, to- I am also the Dark Desperado, if you're asking. Okay, no one was asking about that, and I think it's hilarious you're trying to make that stick. Yes, I am. It's like, it's like, what's her name on Mean Girls, trying to make Fetch happen. Stop trying to make the Dark Desperado happen. Yeah, we're going to make it happen (laughs) one way or another. I'm going to gain prominence as the Dark Desperado. What I was going to say was, (laughs) before I was interrupted, that... We can, I I get rather, see, you threw me off. Yes, I did. I get questions all the time about. The Dark Desperado. No, who is Big Daddy? Because they're like, well, there's T Outlaw. Is T Outlaw Big Daddy? Yes. Yes, he is. But I'm only a father to the cats and the dog. But yeah, we'll go with, you know, Big Daddy, T Outlaw, that dude. Well, see, you tried to be that dude, but I can't call you that dude. Am I not that dude? Well, technically you are, but I never told you. But the real reason why I can't call you that dude is that Dirk Nowitzki, his nickname with the Mavs, was that dude. And it got weird calling you that dude, knowing that you hate Dirk Nowitzki. (laughs) Okay, that dude is now retired. (laughs) say he does not hate Dirk Nowitzki he just doesn't like that I am a fan of Dirk Nowitzki which I don't get your fanhood is quite 
heavy. He is jealous of the tall German ever since I said that he was gumbo worthy. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> no. No, can't do it. Dirk, if you're listening, and in my world, in my imagination, you and your fam are fans of the Goober. Because we have people listening in Dallas. I know this because I get the stats. So, Dirk, if you're listening, you're gumbo worthy, my friend. Just well, know that. Okay. <laughs> so, also, while you're, you know, quote, unquote, working on the analytics, you know, since we finished up the 10 episodes of The Last Dance, you know, Mike, <sighs> Scotty, uh, Steve Kerr, Horace Grant, you're all gumbo worthy. All right. We're going to give you the love. Okay, Dennis first, Rodman, you're double gumbo worthy if you're worthy if you're up to it. Okay, first of all, you don't get to say who's gumbo worthy. Okay, okay. don't give it out my gumbo. Isaiah Thomas not gumbo worthy. Sorry, bro. Okay, we both agree on that. Second of all, <laughs> the conversation about the last dance. We'll have that for another day. But let me also just say because Michael Jordan came out and admitted the flu game was not really the flu game. It was a food. Poisoning game? Michael is not gumble worthy. But the fact that Dirk actually had a food game and went on and won the championship, double makes him gumble worthy. Do you have a food game or a flu game? He had a flu game. Okay. <laughs> Good for him. And can I get through the introduction? <laughs> you brought it up. I did not bring up the last inch. You did. Yeah, but I didn't bring up Dirk and his little love of the flu game or whatever. <sighs> okay. You can find the Gourmet Goober on Facebook <laughs> under Gourmet Goober blog, because we started as a blog. And you can drop us a line, even if you wanted to settle our argument as to whether or not my gumbo goes to Michael Jordan and Scotty Pippen, which I can it see does how not. I can see how your hand just kind of like, she's like, oh, and Michael Jordan, fellow, you know. We're not going to resolve this today, and yeah. we have a lot of quarantine left, so we're going to leave that alone. But anyway, you can drop us a line at theglowingrecooper at gmail.com. So, today's episode is, we're so excited. It's going to be a little different than our traditional episode of the Gourmet Goober podcast, and the reason for that is we have our very first guest. Today, um, we're ending the podcast with an interview with Derek Kirk. He is the co-founder of So Foodie. That's foodie with a PH. <laughs> if you listen to the opening, um, dot com. And we're going to have, we had a really great chat about everything from his background in food to um, the state of Black restaurants and how we can support our favorite restaurants through the novel um, coronavirus pandemic. He even gives us a really cool take on the best thing he ate this week. So we're super excited to introduce him to everybody. And we are also excited because this officially means that da, 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 we have guests on the Gourmet Goober podcast. So again, um, the last segment is going to be a little longer than most, but we encourage you guys to stick around um, and listen to it because it'll be totally worth it. And Big Daddy, while we are here, before we go into the second segment where we talk a little bit about pop culture, this is the part where we talk about our week. As you guys can guess from listening, um, we've had some things to say to each other over the last dance. I have held my tongue, okay? I was respectful. 
She left and the let, room for all 10 episodes. Right, because, okay, let me just say, it's not that I don't like Michael Jordan. I do. But for those of you who've listened to the podcast and have heard us on the Relationships podcast before, we were part of a segment where we talked about when we first met. We very famously got into an argument when we first met over your team, the Pacers, and my, no, your team, the Bulls. <laughs> And my team, my beloved Indiana Pacers. So much so that our friends have had to intervene in the past because they're like, dude, we cannot have you guys go through this. So when The Last Dance came on, out of respect for him, even though the 90s and the rivalry between our teams was very aggressive to the point where there was one famous game that the Pacers beat them twice in the season and he stopped talking to me for, like, what, a week? Yes. <laughs> I may have trash-talked him, but he deserved it. So anyway, as you can imagine, during our very long relationship, that subject gets a little testy sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yes, I very graciously left the room and let him have his fanhood during the last dance. Yes, you did. <laughs> Thank you. You know, that's what a loving wife does. Thank you. So Um, what was your question? Anyway, what I was saying was the reference earlier when we talked about the last dance, that was me holding my tongue for like a good week because I wanted to give him that, you know? Okay. So that kind of encompassed your week or was there more to it other than giving you a chance to salivate and relive the best moments of the Bulls? I do admit that watching The Last Dance brought back a great deal of loving memories of my time growing up around here near Chicago in the late 80s, early 90s, and throughout dealing with uh, the Bulls' six, Memphis' six NBA championships. You had to put that in there. Yes. So... <laughs> I very much enjoyed my time reliving that. And yes, there are a lot of little nuggets that were dropped in, including the absence of the flu game, which really was the food poisoning game. Or like, you know, how Michael was maniacal in his treatment of other teammates, his opponents. He found issues with, a lot of different things, but yes, it was not the biggest part of my week, but or the past two weeks, as you would say. But it was, in retrospect, very cool, at least for me as a Bulls fan and a lot of other Bulls fans, to relive how Bill Jackson, Scottie Pippen, Steve Kerr, Bill Wington, Horace Grant, a lot of other people, Bill Carr. All these guys, like, you know, how we very much enjoyed that time watching The Last Dance. And I can tell by the Gourmet Gooba space that that was pretty much enough for me to say. So <laughs> I'm going to just say for the sake of our marriage, <laughs> for our loving marriage, we're just going to move on because we don't want to start another fight. You know what, though? That was not the whole highlight of our week. We celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary since the last episode. Oh, yeah, that's true. You forgot that. 
I did not forget our anniversary, but <laughs> I figured, hell, we're like almost two weeks from that. You know, we moved on. Well, it wasn't almost two weeks, but if since the last episode, yes, we have celebrated our fifteenth wedding anniversary, um, which was weird because we had plans on how to celebrate it that didn't involve being stuck inside on a rainy day quarantine sheltered in place during a pandemic <laughs> there are many other ways that i can imagine spending our 15th wedding anniversary beyond that um but let me just say it was it was nice having that time together um i actually took a day off which sounds weird because how do you take mm. a day off when you're at home all the time you know um but no it was nice because Big Daddy surprised me with my favorite thing in the entire world. He had shipped to me um, some Bluebell ice cream, um, which if you guys have not had Bluebell, some of the best ice cream in the freaking world. But here's the thing. They don't sell it everywhere. So when I first tried it, um, I was living in Mississippi during grad school. Um, We won't say how many years ago, but it's been a while. (laughs) when i came up north i told everybody about this insanely good ice cream and they thought i was crazy like yeah jen the south has its own ice cream it does so then (laughs) through the magic of the internet (laughs) you can now have it shipped anywhere and so big daddy had done that once before um when we were still dating and you surprised me was it for my birthday you had it sent to me no, it was actually during the time we just decided to celebrate. Okay, maybe it was your birthday. Yeah, it was my birthday. It was during the summer. Okay. And I, at the time, thought, oh, my God, you can have it shipped anywhere. And so Big Daddy felt bad that I could not go anywhere or we couldn't go anywhere um, for our anniversary. So he had it sent to me, which I have to say was completely amazing. And I love it. And I got four of my favorite flavors, the chocolate chip cookie dough, the millennial crunch, um, the the red velvet cake, and then surprisingly, banana pudding. And I say that because I ate the hell out of banana pudding growing up. And if you guys ever had something that you ate so much of it, then you're just like over it as an adult. Mm. Like you just don't want it anymore. Like I have not craved banana pudding, which is sad because my dad makes a mean banana pudding. But I have not craved it since, wow, I I would have to say in the last 20 years, easily. Okay. That said, Bluebell's banana pudding ice cream, I say this without shame, I could just sit on my couch and eat it and eat, and that'll be the only thing I eat and I'll be satisfied. That stuff is the shit. It's so good. I know that's not a really official way of describing it. You know, I could go through like the textures and the flavors but we and won't. how it envelops. No, no, no. It's just really good. Okay. <laughs> really good ice cream. Um, so yeah, that was kind of exciting. We had a really nice dinner too. What was it from Longhorn, Texas? I it was a where. Longhorn Steakhouse. Yeah, and it was really weird because we had ordered it and we went to pick it up, and I guess where we live part of the state was open so we saw people like go into the restaurants to eat and we're just like oh well we could just eat in there 
And then we saw a bunch of people walking without masks and we're like, uh, no, we'll just take this home. <laughs> so that is what we did. So it wasn't all the last dance, <laughs> but it was really, really great. And thank you, Big Daddy, for making the day special, even though it was crazy that when you say for better or for worse, you never imagine that includes a pandemic. Yes. We give them enough to spread with. But yes, we very much enjoyed our time together for our anniversary. But for the most part, I guess our week was partially entertaining, partially watching other people walk around thinking the, you know, the pandemic was over. It is not. But more importantly, I enjoy spending my time with the Goober. And it was a great time. Awesome. So we are going to take a quick break. Like I said, we are running this podcast a little bit differently than most. Um, After the break, we're going to have a brief pop culture segment where we go over the best um, pop culture stories intersecting food and pop culture for the week. And then we end out the podcast with our incredible interview with Derek Kirk of SoFoodie.com. So you guys don't want to miss that. You're listening to The Gourmet Goober, and we will be right back. Hey, Gooberland. This is JJ Outlaw, better known as The Gourmet Goober. Do you consider yourself gumber-worthy? Maybe you're a little bit gourmet and a lot ratchet. Well, if so, tell the world what your very own goober gear. From aprons and mugs to t-shirts and hoodies, it's the perfect way to support our show while telling the world that you're part of Gooberland. So just head over to gooberswag.com, that's gooberswag.com, and get your very own goober gear now. Everybody, we are back with the Gourmet Goober podcast. I'm JJ Outlaw. I'm here with T Outlaw, and we are back in our foodie and pop culture section that we call "What's Eating Us." And we have three stories today that kind of cross the intersection between food and pop culture. I know that historically, over the last couple episodes, we've been trying to avoid mentioning the COVID um, crisis, but it's kind of unavoidable to talk about it um, in terms of how it's been fit- hitting the um, the food and restaurant industry, and in which we love to talk about so much here on the show. And so we'll be able to cover three stories that had to have national impact and showing some pretty creative ways to deal with the coronavirus. But before we dive in, we wanted to take an opportunity to talk about the passing of a Chicago legend. Um, you may not know him personally and may not have had a chance to go to his restaurant, but odds are, if you are a true barbecue aficionado, you've had a chance to try his um, world-famous sauce, and that is Hecky Powell. Um, he unfortunately passed away last week, I think last Friday, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, he passed away from complications from the coronavirus. First and foremost, we wanted to send our deepest apologies and send our 
thoughts and prayers to his family and certainly the city of Evanston, Illinois, which is world famous Heckey's Barbecue was well known. Um, again, if you're not familiar with him, his barbecue pretty much became synonymous with the Chicago style barbecue, which we'll talk about that in a moment, because believe it or not, when people talk about barbecue, they normally talk about Memphis and St. Louis and Texas style barbecue. But believe it or not, there are some things that are very unique to Chicago um, that makes our barbecue landscape pretty special. And Hecky was a well-known part of that. Um, he started his restaurant, I believe, in 1983, I want to say. Sounds right, yeah. Um, and at the time, he started his restaurant using barbecue that um, the sauce itself was taken from his mom's secret sauce. Mm-hmm. So he took that recipe that he grew up loving and turned it into a world-class business, um, which he provided catering from everyone from the Chicago Bears to um, the Northwestern Wildcats. So they were a fan of pretty much everyone here in Chicago. Um, the really cool thing is when he started his restaurant, he actually got coaching on getting it started and getting everything set up from no... um from a well-known legend in the Chicago area. And that was Leon Finney Sr. Again, if you're not familiar with him, he is one of the biggest pitmasters to ever come out of the city of Chicago. I mean, he is legendary. And so no less than Leon Finney Sr. was one of the individuals to help coach him on starting the restaurant himself. But in addition to his work with providing ribs, Hecky was a key um, person within the Evanston community. Um, he respond, provided many um, young people, particularly young people of color in that area, their first job. He actually ran a foundation that was named after his father, Forrest E. Powell. And so he bestowed um, hundreds of music scholarships and vocational grants um, for kids who want to go to school but just didn't have the ability to pay for it. So really, he did a lot um, for um, his community. Sadly, um, he passed away from the coronavirus just mere days after being diagnosed. So again, just as a side note, seriously, people, this is real. Please take it seriously. Um, And it's just so sad that he passed away. But the incredible thing is his business, even though understandably they're closed right now, just to give the family some space and grace to mourn his loss. But um, my understanding is his business and his legacy will live on, which is great. Um, But I know particularly that you, when you found out, you were like really hit hard because although I've not had a chance to personally have his barbecue, you had, you've been to his restaurant, what, three or four times? Yes. Um, I believe maybe 10, 12 years ago, was the first time I happened upon the the Green Bay Road uh, establishment. Uh, I think this was after a Cubs game. Uh, I went with a friend who lived in Evanston. We just happened to hang out there after the game, and I was I can testify to the sauce straight up and down. It's uh, I know it has some origins in New Orleans, but also. Man, I can testify to the smokiness, the taste, the sweetness, as you will. 
and it was one of the few barbecue sauces that I have come across that could transfer from the brisket sandwiches to the rib tips to the chicken to the overall ribs. I'm willing to say that, I mean, I know that it's bottled and it can be, you know, you can bring it home, but man, there was nothing like having it on a fresh plate of ribs or, you know, whatever, you know, was your barbecue pleasure. Man, I'm really going to miss Hecky. And uh, it, he was a, he was a gentleman. I can at least testify to that because he was, he was a definite uh, role model for the area. Yeah. And you had mentioned the secret again to his sauce. It was a motto. <laughs> and um, his sauce is actually based on his mother's um, recipe. Um, and she, um, she basically had a lot of Creole influences to her cooking. Mm-hmm. And it kind of translated well. Yeah, you could definitely taste it. You can definitely taste a little bit of a New Orleans like flavor to it, but it was definitely like some smoke. It definitely had different herbs and seasoning that you wouldn't quite pick up in your normal uh, store-bought barbecue. So again, thoughts and prayers and certainly our well wishes to his family. We definitely want to thank them for, um, allowing us to share in Hecky's, you know, brilliance, um, certainly behind the grill and the work that he did. And then certainly, again, the work that he also did as far as advancing Chicago-style barbecue, which, again, isn't as well known as some other um, styles of barbecue out there, but it is very unique. And one of the things that was really fascinating when we were first reading up on Hecky's life is we've actually discovered the two of us just some very unique things that kind of makes Chicago style barbecue pretty unique from some of the other um, that are out there. And it all starts with the smoker. Um, Yes. Which it starts with something that is called an aquarium smoker, which I have never heard of honestly before coming to Chicagoland, but it's something that's very unique. And so um, you will find this smoker on basically um, barbecue joints, not everywhere in Chicago, but uniquely only to the south and west side of Chicago. Yes, that's what I heard. And it's actually um, the aquarium smoker. It's a huge beast of a smoker that's made by a company called Avenue Metal. And it's been pretty much one of the only places you can get it since 1954. You can actually tell if a barbecue joint has one of these signature smokers by the roof, believe it or not. Okay. So if you drive past the roof and you see one of these really tall um, smokestacks, that's your key that it actually has an aquarium smoker. Interesting. And the smoker itself is kind of cool, right? So the smokestack is actually attached to a large tempered glass chamber. So it sort of looks like a fish tank. That's where it gets its name from. Mm -hmm. And then it's directly on top of another chamber. And that other chamber is either always filled with burning wood, which is kind of unique because traditionally, if I'm not mistaken, barbecue on the North side of Chicago, on the city, I want to say 
either relies on gas in like a rotisserie smoker type environment or like a combination of gas or a combination of charcoal and wood. Mm-hmm. But wood is an essential component of exclusively Chicago um, style barbecue on the West and South side. Now, if they do charcoal, it's a charcoal wood blend, um, but it's always more dominant the wood itself. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's kind of really weird that the city is segmented in how they do their barbecue. I found that really interesting. Um, and the Aquarian Smoker, you pretty much only see it on the, these two side of towns for three reasons. One, it's expensive because, again, you can only get it from one company. Um, it's kind of intensive in terms of labor. Um, and it's pretty much um, because of the type of work that it is, you have to really maintain it. It's not something that you can just light and walk away from. As some of the, you know, the fancy pants restaurants, as my dad used to decently call um, some of the big fancy barbecue restaurants that are out there. Okay. And not to say that they light the gas and walk away too, but really for something like this, you almost have to keep an eye on it all the time. It's a labor of love. Yeah, it really is. And so because of the type of um, the way it's laid out, it really lends itself well to ribs, especially rib tips. So rib tips, as opposed to other style barbecue, is really essential part of the style of barbecue itself. Um, but yeah, I just find it really fascinating that um, the South and North side of Chicago have very distinctive taste, and this has kind of become synonymous with what makes it unique to the area. This almost sounds like it's a little bit more of like a Sox Cubs thing. <laughs> But, like, Hecky took it all the way up to Evanston. He's like, no, I'm not going to give the Cubs this. But I'm just going, you know, we're going to give Evanston a little love of the south side. But you're going to carry this, you know, all you little Cubs fans, y'all can play with your little gas and, you know, charcoal grills. But You know, I wasn't going to bring it to the north and south side, but now that you think about it. But the division is real. You know Yeah, that. the division is real. and. This is not the right time to go. No, no, into we're not going to get into the baseball and whatever. And I say this because Big Daddy and I we're on the opposite sides of the baseball divide. Mm-hmm. How do we get married if we like opposite everything? Opposite basketball teams, opposite baseball teams. You want me to start singing like Paula Duels, like opposites attract. <laughs> Okay, we'll revisit that another time, but let me just say, again, it is your fault that I like the White Sox. Yes, it is. <laughs> I made the mistake, I admit. <laughs> you gave me the option, whichever team that I have the most fun, and that year mm. the White Sox won the World Series. Hell, you can get more fun than that. I got a parade. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, so our thoughts go out to Hecky Powell, which, by the way, just as a side note, um, There was some incredible work um, that was written about his life. You can Google it. But if you want to know specifically about the Chicago style um, barbecue, there's this really great article that was in um, Eater Chicago. And I just Google it and I recommend it. It was really informative. In fact, after reading it and learning more about 
um, Mr. Powell's life, we were talking about, we just want to spend the summer just doing curbside at every South side and West side show barbecue joint. <laughs> so if you're in Chicago, just know we may wind up in your neck of the woods. <laughs> so going on from one Chicago legend to another, and maybe you might be better to speak about this since you are the definitive Chicago Cubs fan in our home. Well, no. Okay. In our home, maybe, <laughs> but now I'm not going to testify to being like a definitive, you know, diehard, you know, Cubby blue fan, but yes, I, I do have memories of Harry Carey and his restaurant. So Harry Carey, if you're not a sports fan for many, many years, didn't he work for WGN? He worked for WGN for a long time. Yeah. And he was the voice of the Cubs. He was originally the voice of the White Sox. Really? Yeah. He changed sides? He originally started off in Chicago with the White Sox for years. Actually, before that, I think he first started with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, the antithesis of the Cubs. Uh, also worked for the Oakland Athletics um, in their broadcasting booth. He was a national broadcaster for a while. But yeah, his tried and, tried and true blue uh, memories do come from sitting out in the bleachers uh, once or twice a year uh, doing Cubs games. And of course, in the booth with a longtime assistant, I'm sorry, longtime uh, <clears throat> uh, color analyst, uh, Steve Stone. Well, besides being a legend behind um, the booth calling for the Cubs on WGN for many, many years. Harry was also the founder of this incredible restaurant chain name from Harry Carey's. Yes. And I personally love Harry Carey's just as a side, even though I was not a White Sox. I mean, I'm a White Sox fan, not a Cubs fan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but even I could appreciate Harry Carey's. In fact, it was one of the first places that you took me to when we first came to Chicago. Yeah, when we first we're making decisions about where we were going to live in the area uh, around Chicago. The place I took you on the Saturday evening was Harry Carey's restaurant in River North. Yes. So the restaurant chain, which now has places in Chicago, Rosemont and Lombard, like many restaurants um, that focus on the dining experience, They've been really wrestling about how to deal with social distancing mm -hmm. once the restaurant reopens up. And <laughs> they came up with the most brilliant yet weird solution that I have ever seen. <laughs> Imagine a night on the town. If you ever go to Harry Carey's, it's a beautiful atmosphere, very warm, very exciting. It still has elements of the sports bar, so... You know, you'll get that experience too, but it's a kind of an upscale in dining experience. For the it's most a part. very eloquent uh, Italian grill steakhouse yes. type feel. And you could be sitting next to Harry Carey. Harry Carey. <laughs> Lots of Harry Carey's. If you will. <laughs> and how does that come about? Well, while the restaurant is still wrestling, um, which figuring out how to emphasize social distancing, they did not want their um, particular diners to feel separate from one another as far as the seating and the experience of being able to interact with other diners. 
So what they decided to do now, there are other restaurants, of course, that have utilized mannequins as a way to kind of fill in the seats. But Harry Carey's decided to um, possibly create Harry Carey mannequins. Harry Carey mannequins. Yes. (laughs) Harry Carey mannequins. So, yes. According to the restaurant group in the statement, since Harry loved being with people, we thought having a bunch of Harry's filling empty seats would be a fun way to have some Harry-style fun. Um, Guests could be um, able to get a photo op while maintaining a safe environment from each other um, as far as the other diners, but still have a, you know, bang of time. Yeah, like I'm sitting in the restaurant having a lovely uh, bill parmesan or a chicken basuvio, and I turn and there's Harry over here, <laughs> you know, just sitting there eating, you know, with his horrible sports jacket, and <laughs> he's just going crazy. So many questions. Okay, because one, unfortunately, Harry Carey is not with us. Yeah, unfortunately, Harry Carey passed away. In the beginning of 1998. So you have to get over the mindset that, you know, when it's a mannequin, obviously it's like no one that you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to when you go into a restaurant and you see a restaurant full of Harry's, <laughs> it strikes me as kind of cool yet creepy at the same time, because if you live in Chicago, you know Harry. <laughs> yes. And so the idea, there's a Harry at every other table. Cuffman, Budman. So I have questions. Like, are there going to be like different styles of Harry? Are they going to dress Harry? Or will one of the Harrys have a sombrero? He could possibly have a sombrero. <laughs> there was also not- one time that Harry uh, did one of the broadcasts with Steve Stone out in the bleachers where he was not wearing a shirt. <laughs> That would be interesting. Would one of the Harrys be shirtless? Will it be like older Harry, younger Harry? It's got to have the glasses on every <laughs> single one. Oh Holy cow. Yes. <laughs> I mean. Will he have a bud in his hand every single one of them? Yeah. I mean. Will Harry be posed? I mean. Will just- he have scotch? <laughs> All of these references. Will it be sitting next to Bob Euchre? Oh, that would be great. That would be tremendous. Oh, holy cow. Will Do you want to explain a- the sombrero reference or no? No, no. <laughs> I think we can leave sombrero to people who want to Google that. That's- Use the Google machine for the sombrero. Yes. Harry and <laughs> Harry would, from time to time, you know, when. The summers were hot, and there were only so many people in the bleachers uh, because of um, <clears throat> capacity and or the amount of people they could get in, how many people were drunk. Harry, from time to time, liked to uh, take a look at the young ladies who would be out in the uh, in the stands, and uh, he would be very appreciative of their uh, dress wear, if you will, including the young ladies wearing the bikinis and the sombreros okay this is before the me too movement people (laughs) please do not get upset with us this was how tv was done back in the day (laughs) oh holy cow look at the bazongers 
he was kind of rude about it. But now that I think funny. about it. <laughs> but he was an old man and we appreciate his spirit. Although I'm I'm still confused how he can wear the bikini and the bleachers at Wrigley Field, but again, I'm a White Sox fan, we don't do that. So <laughs> We like to believe they wore shorts. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So how do you feel as a Cubs fan? Would it be weird to you to kind of um, be eating at Harry Carey's and be joined by Harry Carey? I mean, would you take a picture with him? Of course. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it might be a little weird at first. Like, you know, if one of the mannequins like decides to move and like, you know, take, you know, my steak, you know, that's been dry aged. You know, the money I paid for this steak and, you know, Harry just goes and cuts up a piece and eats it. Okay, we're not talking about, like, possessed mannequins. Clearly you've seen too many horror movies. Yes, I have. (laughs) But yes, if Harry... This is not the boy. (laughs) Right. But if, yes, if it would be a little weird, yes, having mannequins all around you. But trust me, as a one-time bit, yeah, trust me. I would definitely pose with, you know, one of the uh, one of the figures. Hey, maybe we'll have a, you know, we'll sing "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" a couple times. I think if <laughs> when people get a little drunk, they might all be singing that with Harry Carey again. Yeah. But then my other question is, if this picks up, I mean, what about other restaurants in the in the area like Dicka's? Which unfortunately, I heard that Dicka's may be clothing. Mm. Um, but suppose it doesn't. And Dicka's, of course, is owned by legendary um, Chicago Bears um, coach. Former head coach. Yeah, former Mike head Dicka. coach, Mike Dicka. Mm-hmm. Would they have, like, Dicka mannequins? And I'm would you want to eat <laughs> with Mike Dicka mannequins everywhere? That's just weird. I don't know if it's even better or worse to have mannequins, the faces of people that you know. That would be kind of should also have a, you know, be able to pose with, you know, a mannequin of Mike Dicka. Hell, you never know. Like, the actual Mike Dicka might show up and pose with you. Yeah, because unlike Harry Carey, Mike Dicka is still with us. Yes. Although, I don't know. I. You could have a Dicka pork chop. He will bless it with his, with his Dicka-like essence. <laughs> He will come in and cuss at you. He might even, you know, spit his gum out at you, if you will. If one of the mannequins spits out his gum, I'm pretty much knowing it's possessed. But yeah, a Dicka chop with Dicka. So in that case, what I want is the Billy Goat Tavern to actually have little Billy Goats plus Billy Coats and Seats. No, I want the guys like, you know, who originally say, you know, cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. Oh my God, that would be so awesome. Mm. And then they could have some mannequins that look like... um What's his name? Um, the the guy who was in the soap because it was Bill Murray, John Belushi, and John Belushi, mm-hmm. and it's Chicago. We could find John Belushi mannequins everywhere because of the Blue Brothers, right? Yes. The only thing about uh, the original Billy Goat Tavern is it's a fairly small place. Yeah, it's tiny. Yeah, I mean, and that's why I'm seeing the little Billy Goat plushies, but the House of Blues, they could have the Blues Brothers mannequins everywhere. That would rock. I would actually, because you know what? There's already a, like a statue of Jake and Elroy 
Mm-hmm. What, what? Where is it? Is it? Um, it's not Midway. It's O'Hare. When you come in through O'Hare, right? Because they welcome you with Sweet Home Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know what? I would love that. That would rock. Well, I think every that. restaurant should have Jake and Elroy Blues mannequins. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> that would be interesting. You know, we could, if you want to extrapolate this all over Chicago, hell, we can go down to Buddy Guys and, you know, have like, you know, Buddy Guy mannequins or, you know, we can go to City Hall and have like, you know, Lori Lightfoot telling your ass to stay home. Oh, that would be awesome. Like little cardboard cutouts of her. Like, why the hell are you out here dining? Go home. Yes. <laughs> I told you, we can, we can take this all over the city. Like, mannequins in every, or cardboard cutouts in, like, you know, every other seat in the area. Social distancing, y'all. It's a thing. So, yes. Yeah. So, again, shout out to Harry Carries for coming up with the most creative way and the most Chicago way <laughs> of helping to encourage social distancing while slightly creeping us out with the Harry Carey um, imagery. <laughs> hey, take me out to the ball game, kids. <laughs> Holy cow! I have to say, I've never told you, but I actually really like your Harry Carey impression. It's actually that really is bad. the worst Harry Carey. <laughs> telling you straight and down. Uh, what's his name from Saturday Night Live? Uh, Will Ferrell does him a lot better than Oh my god, else. Will Ferrell's Harry Carey is on point. I gotta give you credit for that. Yeah. So the last story that we want to talk about, speaking of dealing creative ways with dealing with the COVID, is actually um, from Questlove. And if you guys don't know who Questlove is, he is the drummer from the legendary um, R&B hip-hop band, The Roots. He's also, you may have seen him if you watched um, The Late Show with Jimmy Fallon. He's part, The Roots is the house band. The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Let's not mess that up. Oh, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> we don't want to get in that, you know, catch that smoke. We're Ball State alumni, so to say that is kind of rude. Sorry, yes. David. Sorry. <laughs> um, sorry, Stephen Cobell. Sorry, Jimmy. But anyway. Nonetheless. Um, so Questlove, besides his work with The Roots, believe it or not, for some people who may not be familiar, he's also an incredible foodie. So last year he put out um, um, a um, cookbook, which I'm dying to get. It's called The Mixtape. It's actually well-received. So like the LA Times named it one of the best cookbooks of the year. Um, he also has... His own brand of seasoning. What is it at Williams Sonoma? His popcorn seasoning. Yes. Which I heard is mm-hmm. like wicked good. And so now he's actually hosting um, a show that's going to be on the Food Network called Quest Loves Potluck. And so he brings he's bringing together some of his friends, um, and it was all remotely shot. So it's kind of like a virtual get together, and it's going to have everyone from. Hannibal Burris to um, Tiffany Haddish, uh, Patty LaBelle, Kenan Thompson, um, Black Thought, um, Roy Wood Jr., who we're huge fans of. From the Comedy Central show. Um, the Daily Show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't believe this is happening. And then Gabriel Union. And it's all coming together to benefit a good cause, America's Food Fund, and to help really put money towards 
um, food deserts and people dealing with food insecurity with um, what's going on right now with the coronavirus and the massive job loss. So first of all, shout out to Questlove. We can't really wait to see that show. It's going to be on the Food Network, as I said before. But then also we were really intrigued by the story because one of the guests on this show is none other, like we said before, than Patty LaBelle. The godmother of soul, <laughs> as I have heard. <laughs> Who you have been dying for years and years to have her call you chipmunk. That's right. Maybe not the prune cobbler. This is from a different <laughs> world, but I just want her to, you know, give me a hug and call me chipmunk. So the reason why that's hilarious is that Patty LaBelle, like Questlove, um, in addition to her music, which needs no explanation whatsoever. And again, just as a side note, and we will get back to you listeners, some of you who have listened to us for our love of The Masked Singer, I still need to kind of binge watch the end of it. Please don't say anything. I've been trying to avoid it on Twitter for weeks. But... No spoilers. <laughs> the idea that Patty did not win that one year just drove me nuts. Because who the hell beats out Patty LaBelle? Anyway... <laughs> I know you don't want to relive me waking you up in the middle of the day going, that's Patty LaBelle. No, I do not. <laughs> I like my sleep. <laughs> but Patty, in addition to being an incredible singer, is actually an incredible um, cook. In fact, we actually have one of her cookbooks. I yes, inherited we do. from my mother in law. Um, and I have made some of the LaBelle cuisine over the years. And Patty, of course, is the maker of the all-incredible Patty Pie, which, again, just a side note, I almost absconded one today. I almost made out with a Patty Pie today. Okay. I was so close to getting it, and then I thought, ooh, I got to go into Walmart with all those people. Yes. So I didn't do it. Yeah, your safety is more <laughs> than a necessity for a Patty Pie. I don't know, though. I, I, I have a feeling that and come Thanksgiving, if this is still going on, you would risk it all for a patty pie. I wonder if you can, like, have them DoorDash a patty pie to you. You know, I have looked into that. I don't think they would. Damn. <laughs> if y'all gonna have Uber Eats or, you know, whatever one of these delivery services, can y'all hook a brother up with a patty pie? <laughs> a couple patty pies? I'm willing to drop the cash, y'all. Anyway. I, you know what? This is my fault for going down the rabbit hole. Because, again, patty pies, if you guys have not had one, get your life. Yeah. Seriously, the sweet potato pie is one of the best out there. That's your problem. Anyway, Questlove. <laughs> Questlove had a longtime beef with Patty LaBelle. How are you going to have a beef with Patty LaBelle? <laughs> it is all because of, for years, for nearly a decade, Questlove has been trying to get Patty LaBelle to cook for him. <laughs> She's cooked for everybody. So the long and short of it is that, and you guys, I, I can't even do the story justice. Do me a favor, Google Quest Love and OK Flair. They he used to have these animated shorts that are called story times. And so they did this story where it talks about how for a decade Someone had told him that Patty LaBelle makes these incredible, the best fried chicken that will ever be, the best soul food. Um, she has personally cooked for Mick Jagger. She has personally cooked for Sir Elton John. 
And so Questlove is like, dude, I want some of this, right? So Miss Patty, whenever, because I grew up in a home that called her Miss Patty. So not calling her Miss Patty is really weird. So whenever he ran into Miss Patty, Miss Patty's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead and show up. You know, let's get together. I will cook for you. And for 10 years, she has avoided cooking for him. <laughs> to the point where this story was told everywhere, like the Mira de Vieira story when it went viral several years ago. Um, I know I've seen it on The Tonight Show when he talked about it. So I'm sure that Miss Patty was probably not thrilled that it got out, that she was stringing him along for some fried chicken. <laughs> So what do you think he said to her to get her on the show? Do you think that she made some fried chicken just to be petty? Probably threatened one of her kids. <laughs> no, I don't think it was that. Probably threatened, you know, probably threatened one of the kids with like, you know, the Afro picks. Say, <laughs> have your mama drop that pile. Have a, you know, she, if she going to cook, just get it in. Let's so, get that food. So wait a minute. So his invite to be on the show was literally just milling her. Like a pig. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put this pick upside one of your kid's head unless you come and wow. cook my food. I don't know if it's that serious. But then again, I would be a little upset if someone promised you for 10 years that they would cook for you. Hell, once again, <laughs> Pay LaBelle's cook for Allen Iverson, Jill Scott, Will Smith. I mean, she was cooking for everybody. Alicia Keys. So I wonder food. why she never filled her her promise to Questlove. She's Patty Was LaBelle. there ever an excuse for that, or is she just look up Patty Labelle? I don't have to. I think she cooked for Taraji P. Henson. <laughs> she was cooking for everybody. She just never got around to Questlove. <laughs> but the crazy part of the story is they would invite her over. Mm -hmm. Like he would go over her house on invitations. Not like he showed up with like a plate and a fork. Should have. <laughs> and there was no fried chicken, no food. So now Miss Patty is going to be a guest. And I, I admit, I'm going to be watching just to see the interaction of this. Now, I heard that he finally got some sort of a hookup when Patty LaBelle came out with her patty pies. Okay. So I think the world will be watching to see, because it's all done remotely. It's not like they're in each other's house because everyone's self-quarantined. Mm -hmm. So I kind of see her being petty enough to actually, I don't know. Drop the feed. No, she'll probably just be eating the fried chicken and soul food. She'll be like, oh, baby, Remotely. you came a little late. <laughs> Where he can't get in. Matter of fact, have, see, Payla Bell is, you know, patty enough <laughs> to, like, you know, open up the feed. And, you know, there's Questlove on one, you know, uh, sorry, one screen. And then there's Patty on the other. And then, like, next to Patty... Will be other members of the Roots band eating the, the food. fried chicken. Oh, that's right. That would be some next level petty. Because it's Patty LaBelle, who I just turned seventy six. Oh yeah, that's right. She just recently had a birthday. Yes. Happy birthday, Miss Patty. Patty, Patty. <laughs> you know what? I'm just gonna say that whatever you decide to do, Miss Patty, because you're my dream interview. So I'm just gonna put that out there because I think she's fabulous. So whatever Mustang, <laughs> you know what I'm also says, say, says yeah. it's okay with me. But yeah, that would be some next level petty. You know what I'm? 
I think Patti LaBelle would be one of the few so like celebrities, and not so much because of celebrity, but just because she's Patti LaBelle. Right. That if she was in my presence, I probably would run out the room just in complete. She would make me blush. I would probably cry. Yeah. Because I've loved Patti LaBelle since I was a little girl. LaBelle and Patti LaBelle's music has been played in my house all through my childhood. So, yeah. You would probably blush if she calls you Chipmunk. If she called me Chipmunk, <laughs> just the way the pay would be, it would come out of her mouth. I, I pretty much, <laughs> I would be butter. I would be like, okay. Oh my God. My but, husband yeah. would just be butter in your hands. Mr. Yeah, I'd be no. like, okay, I'm just going to go sit down now. I'm just going to go <laughs> have a seat and start crying like a little, yeah. It would be quite interesting. Well, if you want to check the um, the special, which again goes to a really good cause, check your local listings. It'll be on the Food Network and it's called Quest Loves Potluck. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will be talking with Derek Kirk, again, of SoFoodie.com. And you're listening to The Gourmet Goober. We'll be right back. You know, we also found out that my wife did not get Allison Roman fired. Dude, did you have to bring that up? Yes, (laughs) I'm throwing shade. (sighs) You know what? No, I had nothing to do with that. And Chrissy Teigen is such a cool person. She's trying to get her her job back. Uh, Of course she is. Again, I stand by my story. I stand by what we said last week. And now more than ever, I do not think that she ate (laughs) the chopped cheese sandwich. But, you know, somehow my wife probably got Allison put on the second shut-in list at, (laughs) what was it, the New York Times? That would be, yes, that is me. But nonetheless, you are watching or listening to the Gourmet Guru podcast <laughs> as I watch my wife completely turn red. Mm-hmm. You're listening to the Gourmet Guru. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Carrie. And I'm Emily. And we're the hosts of A Dark Cup of History, a spin off series to our regular podcast, A Nice Cup of History where we dive headfirst into the weird and paranormal aspects of the world we all live in. If you want to know your woman in red from your woman in white, or precautions to take against demonic dolls, and just where to go to find Bat Shuck on a moonlit night, why not give us a listen? Together we talk about the dark, creepy, and downright terrifying parts of our history and folklore, as well as what you should do if you ever encounter any of them. Interested? Come and find us in Buzzsprout, Apple iTunes, Spotify... Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts. So turn on the lights, grab a blanket and some rock salt, and and let's let's get get dark. dark. Hey everybody, this is JJ Outlaw. And T Outlaw. And we are back with the Gourmet Goober podcast, and as we introduced before, we have our very first guest on the Gourmet Goober podcast. We are being joined by Derek Kirk, who is the co-founder of SoFoodie.com. So, woohoo! Welcome, Derek. Well, I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here. <laughs> what, what, um, is, what is the weather like there in Chicago this Memorial Day? Actually, you know what? It is actually really nice, which is kind of a 
surprised because this last week, um, well, even this past month, what it's was like the wettest. It's the wettest May we've had. Yeah, like okay, there's right. been the past week. There's just been some crazy flooding and things like that. In fact, yeah, we were driving home the other day and Broadway was flooded. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, today it's gorgeous, which is kind of a welcome thing. We don't live far from the beach, so depending on how crowded it is, we may just drive by and take a look at it. <laughs> okay, all right. But it's pretty nice. What about where you are? Well, I'm in. I'm down here in South Florida, and it is pouring raining. It's been raining since yesterday afternoon. Oh, man. Uh, so I, I have mixed emotions. We're not going out to do any any barbecues today. So I guess it's, it's, it's a good thing that it's raining today. Right. You know, I used to live in Tampa right out of grad school. So is it like, okay. I know when I lived in Tampa, they used to have like this rain where it would rain for a couple hours, like really, really hard. And then it would just like disappear. So is yeah, it one of those type of things? Florida. Yeah. Every, every <laughs> afternoon we get a, uh, we get a nice little rain shower around one to three o'clock that just, uh, it's wonderful. Exactly. It drives the humidity up, and uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it, this has been a consistent ah. uh, weather pattern that's been through here the, the last three or four days. It was I'm not too far from where the the golf match was yesterday, and you saw those guys struggling with that yesterday afternoon. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, welcome, and we are super excited, and I I have to say. Um, when we were first talking, um, Big Daddy and I, about who our first guest would be, you know, we didn't think that we would have someone of your pedigree. So we can't feel kind of fancy given your background from Warden and everything. <laughs> we are not as fancy. <laughs> but um, just looking at your marketing background, you, um, for our listeners who are not familiar, you come from a background where you've worked with some of the nation's like most storied, iconic brands. So it's really clear that you've made food an essential part of your career. Just curious, what attracted you to the work that you do have done in the past and working with the food industry? Yeah, food is has always been a part of my life. I'm a I'm a country boy. I grew up in uh, was born in Louisiana, but grew up in the hills of East Tennessee in the Knoxville, Tennessee area. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I I grew up in a uh, we'll call it an education-centric household. Uh, both mm -hmm. of my parents were educators. My mom was a primary school teacher, and my dad was a uh, college professor and actually department head at the uh, University of Tennessee. But uh, food has always been part of my life. You know, my my parents uh, were relatively progressive, if you will. You know, my mom was responsible for most of the cooking, but my father was 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 always uh, involved in that. And so we grew up in sort of a hybrid of suburban rural uh, area. And so we always had a garden with beans and greens and uh, peppers and melons and tomatoes. And uh, I can remember it just at a very early age, going with my mom to farmers markets and uh, getting these, uh, there's these famous tomatoes in East Tennessee called Granger tomatoes. Uh, okay. and, and yeah, and, and getting the tomatoes and buying fresh peaches, uh, and my mom canning and freezing those. 
my mom was sort of the cook. Um, uh, her big her big things were around uh, holidays uh, and your traditional uh, feast with macaroni and cheese and you know all the all the normal fixings. But she was also sort of out there. She was uh, I remember at an early age she was always very inquisitive and exploring things like uh uh you know i i knew at an early age what a fondue was uh and uh a charcuterie and uh you know my mom would find these recipes i remember she made uh zablioni which is an italian uh dessert so it's always been a, a a part of my life and i say my dad was involved too uh one of my earliest memories is is him making a hot water cornbread in a in a cast iron skillet, and he was he was the you know the traditional role. He was the master of the grill, uh, so he uh, uh, focused on on barbecue and creating uh, barbecue. And it's one of those time honored stories. You know, he made great barbecue and he shared it with friends and 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 family. And they were like, "Hey, Doctor Kirk, you should open a restaurant." So eventually, he did that and. Uh, Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my first job, actually, my very first job, I worked in in, in Arby's. Uh, I guess I must have been a a sophomore or I guess I was 16, a sophomore, a junior in in high school. That was my very first job. I had a couple of other jobs in high school that weren't around food. But when I went to college, I actually my, my first job was working in a dining hall at the school. And then I got a job my junior year working in a steakhouse, and I started out as a meat cutter. I take these big, uh, not actually primals, but smaller cuts and cut them into different size steaks. And then I got promoted to line cook, and I did server. And so I, I started out in the restaurant industry. I got I majored in finance in undergrad, and worked in finance for God four or five years. Uh, before grad school and even after grad school, and then I started working professionally for a uh, organization called Darden Restaurants, uh, which you know is Red Lobster. At the time, it was Red Lobster, Olive Garden, uh, and right. Bahama Breeze, and some some other brands. And I started in the marketing department with the Olive Garden, and for twenty plus years, I've worked in uh, uh, working for marketing departments, brand marketing departments for. Primarily casual dining concepts or leading those uh, departments or working in organizations that uh, distribute or sell to the restaurant industry. So uh, I have been in the restaurant industry for a while. Yes. Oh, wow. I I have to say, hearing you talk about growing up and having the garden and your mom and canning things, that kind of takes me back to my childhood, too. My mom is actually from Monticello, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So I have lots of family in Mississippi and Louisiana. So very familiar with that lifestyle and how it kind of was different than growing up in the Midwest. And yeah, I, I know all of that. I can probably, if I've, you know, if I wanted to, I'm pretty handy with candy myself. <laughs> having grown up like that. So I can certainly have an appreciation for how you were brought up. And that's really cool that your dad, had a restaurant. I had no idea. So was it a barbecue type restaurant? If, if I heard yeah, it, it was. It was uh, uh, adjacent to a uh, convenience store. Okay. And on the side, they had a deli where they sold um, 
you know, hot dogs and barbecue and fish sandwiches and fried chicken and, and, and some other things. And eventually he, he opened up a, a, a standalone restaurant for, uh, uh, for a couple of years. It was a, it was a tough business. And at the same time, he had a full-time job and uh, right. my dad's sort of a Renaissance man. He's got a lot of different, uh, at the time he had a lot of different uh, irons in the, in the fire. Do you have a uh, signature dish that he stood by? No, it was it was the ribs. You know, it was traditional. It was barbecue chicken, barbecued ribs, and pulled pork. Those were the the three big things. We didn't didn't do any beef, so it was it was primarily pork uh, and and chicken. Okay, that's pretty nice. I like that. Yeah, Big Daddy is like a fan of anyone who. Um, Loves the queue, as he jokingly said. So, oh, okay. <laughs> in fact, earlier um, we talked about in um, the podcast about Hecky Powell. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He is pretty Ooh. well known. Um, Hecky Powell. No. Um, he's the owner of, or he was the owner of Hecky's Barbecue in Evanston, Illinois. Um, kind of like one of the grandfathers, if you will, of Chicago style barbecue, which is usually built around an aquarium smoker. Yep. Um, so, and rib tips. Yeah. So we talked a lot about him actually in this podcast um, going out. Um, so again, we're just always fascinated when we hear about that. So thank you for sharing that. That's really awesome. So tell us a little bit about SoFoodie.com and what led to um, you starting it up. I understand that you were a co-founder of the site, right? Yeah, really. It, it myself, my uh, significant other has been uh, instrumental in, 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 in helping it, but it started about, oh, it's been four years now. And I was, my mom had recently passed away and I was um, uh, challenged emotionally and I was uh, in a job that uh, was not very ins- inspiring, and on a whim, we uh, uh, went to Miami for the weekend, which is kind of crazy. It's only seventy-five miles, but we used to do that periodically just to get away from where uh, where we live. And I attended a a seminar, an influencer workshop uh, that a group of individuals down here in South Florida put on where they were teaching folks how to become influencers. And I wasn't really interested, but I was into technology and I just said, hey, it's a free workshop. Uh, let me go and, and attend. I met some really interesting people and coming out of there, I was like, okay, I can do something. What am I passionate about? What do I care about? And it was really uh, educating myself about the uh, black or African-American food ways in the United States in terms of who are people who are doing some interesting, innovative things. And I was surprised at the depth and breadth of uh, the innovation and success in the marketplace and slightly embarrassed that I, you know, have been in this business uh, in the restaurant side, but passionate about food for, for a long time, was not aware of some of these stories. So uh, coming out of that, that workshop, they said, well, find something you're passionate about to start and find a social channel and just start, you know, commenting or sharing or, or um, 
uh, tweeting, if you will, or whatever your social channel. And I was I was really into to Twitter because I'm a, a sports and a political junkie, and that's the primary platform where I can learn things and interact and argue with people. So uh, Twitter was my my platform of choice. And I just went out there and started finding all these stories and sharing them and following some of the thought leaders in this space and was very intentional about it and was learning a lot and just kept at it. And then over time, I looked up one day and I was like, wow, there's like a thousand people who are following me. And I said, okay, let's, let's, you know, let's sort of have some fun with this. And I came up with uh, uh, a new name because originally it was not Soul Foodie. It was something different. So we went, we, we changed Soul Foodie and uh, a buddy of mine came up with a really cool logo. And that's where we've, we've, we've been doing that for four years now. Like I said, it's, it's, it's a community where we want to provide a, a, a glimpse into uh, the black American experience, you know, through screens of, and I always say food and beverage because people think it's just about food, but no, we, we innovate in the, in the beverage world, uh, and culture. So we try to try to weave some of the culture into the stories uh, whenever we can. Okay. So from my end, what, like in dealing with like media, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of media outlets, what, makes soul foodie so important especially right now well that's the thing i don't i don't consider myself important and i know uh and i i i i have these discussions uh with 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 individuals my role at least uh, from my perspective is we've been fortunate to create this brand that people gravitate towards and to build an audience uh, and then people are, are passionate about that. So I am not a thought leader in this space. And, you know, I, I, I there are individuals out there. Uh, uh, Adrian Miller, uh, the soul food scholar, uh, Michael Twitty, kosher soul, Therese Nelson, uh, uh, the cookbook author, Tony Martin. I look at Nicole Taylor, uh, uh, Korsha Wilson, uh, Cherie Williams, who's created uh, Cuisine Noir, which is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, you should be following her. She has had this uh, website that's been operating this space for, for over a decade, and I don't know how, it's amazing uh, what she's been able to put there. So my role is, is at least I see it, is to, to, to build this audience, and it's really about sharing these stories. So okay. there, there's there's sort of four buckets uh, of content that that I like to share. One, uh, number one is is finding these stories about these talented brothers and sisters uh, who are innovating, like I said, and exceeding. And these these are challenging food spaces to build businesses in, uh, and then illuminating and highlighting uh, their stories. So that's that's the first thing. Number one. I talk about all those other people who are thought leaders. I, I, I really, I'm really focused on amplifying the voices. So um, uh, those individuals, so when they write things, when they share things, uh, I always want to, to, to bubble that up to the top so people can, can understand and, and, uh, and learn. Um, thirdly, it's topical. It's what's going on in the news uh, that might involve even tangentially 
uh, African-Americans. A lot of time that, that revolves around uh, celebrity. And then the last one is the just the fun, just the silliness, the memes, uh, the silly videos. I like that. Uh, so I, 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 it's not the most important thing that I do, but I have to say sometimes it's, it's the most, and it's, it's, it's the, the funnest thing. So if I see a meme about Karen and her new macaroni and cheese recipe, or, you know, <laughs> white folks not seasoning their food, uh, uh, I will share that because I, I find it funny. And I get pushback. I was telling somebody the other day, you know, I get pushback all the time, you know. Oh, this post is, you know, somebody told me it's beneath the standards and dignity of soul food. I was like, no, it's not. It's not because I'm soul food. I get to decide what my standards are and what I find dignifying. And I think this is funny. So if you don't like it, stop following me. <laughs> uh, so I, like I said, I, I get approached periodically by by individuals in the press. And they're like, well, what's your opinion? I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not qualified. And I usually push those off to, 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 to those who are. Uh, my goal, like I said, is to, to amplify these stories, share these stories, and build it as big of an audience as I, as I can to communicate. So basically what you're saying is that in a roundabout way, like you are kind of a facilitator, like you, like a lot of, uh, like almost like black businesses almost get pushed around by like saying, oh, we're just going to pass it on. Like, you know, you know, like, okay, you can share something here, but at the same time, like, you know, there's also something else down the street that, you know, is just as good or is different. You can try them also. So you're kind of like a person who, you know, passes on or, you know, is kind of like a, you say it out there and, you know, you're moving on to something else. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's at my discretion. Cause I, I get approached all the time and it's like, Oh, can you share this? I was like, you know what? I, I it just doesn't really fit with my audience. I mean, I I had somebody reach out to me a couple of years ago, whose uncle or cousin or somebody in Houston was opening up a new barbecue restaurant, and she sent me. It wasn't even a restaurant. It was a, a um, it wasn't even a food truck. He had the pit set up. It was a nice setup, but it was in a parking lot of a gas station uh, somewhere in Houston. She sent me the menu and pictures of food. I was like, this looks really good. It's really looks appetizing. The food looks good, but it just doesn't interest me, you know? Um, But I told her it was funny. It was about the time that that, uh, uh, Black Panther was out. I was like, now, if you told me he built a menu around characters names in black panther i gave her a suggestion i was like if you had a vegetarian uh or a a smoked mushroom taco that was themed around i don't remember if you remember the 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 jabari tribe and umbaco who are vegetarians around that that would be interesting to me and she to her credit she went back to her cousin or uncle and they actually built that thing uh, wow. she came back. Well, and it, 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 she got a lot of, not only from, from, from us, we put it out there, but some of the local uh, publications picked it up as well. And she got a lot of traction. I don't know. I'd be curious to go back and see how that business is doing. But, but I just say that to say it's uh, everything. We're not, we're not uh, uh, the vehicle for everything. You know, on Twitter, I, I send out, I think it's 25 tweets 
25 to 30 a day. I just, I can't sit around tweeting all day. So I have to, I have to parse and filter what appeals to my uh, uh, palate, if you will. Well, I, and I can certainly understand the need for balance. I think that's something that all content creators um, try to basically find the mix between being informative as well as, as I jokingly call it, embracing the ratchet sometimes. Not that everything we talk about is that. Right, <laughs> right, right. But I can certainly understand that. And um, Soul Foodie has been a really great resource. I know for me, even before we started the podcast, um, we were a blog originally um, for a number of years. And I know that we look to sites like SoFoodie and others um, simply because, again, representation, particularly in the foodie media, sometimes is very, very sparse. And so having a site that's dedicated to uplifting stories of, you know, individuals um, in different spaces who are excelling, um, who are Black, um, there's definitely a need for that. Um Especially now, because as you know, you know, a lot of black owned restaurants, black owned companies, food um, companies have been really hard hit by this current pandemic. And I know that was one of the things that was sort of like a passion for you now, as far as helping these businesses um, during this difficult time. So, can you share with our listeners specifically how a lot of black owned businesses and Food-related companies have been affected by the coronavirus. Yeah, it's tough. It's 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 hard out here for the restaurants. I saw a study. I think it was from the National Restaurant Association that they 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 projected total sales in the industry would decline thirty percent uh, during twenty twenty. So that's a combination of established brands losing sales, coupled with uh, some established, uh, but primarily mom and pops going out of business. So we're seeing declines greater than 50% in, in, in sales. States are reopening, but they're reopening at reduced capacities. Hell, most restaurants, you know, were, were struggling to make money at 100% capacity, let alone uh, it being mandated they can only seat 50%. So this is not a discrete event. This will be a continuous thing over the next, I don't know, I'm not an epidemiologist, but uh, common sense tells me that uh, until we identify a, a, a vaccine. Uh, so it's, it's, it's tough out here for restaurants, and that is only amplified for, for Black restaurants, just like everything else. You know, we say when, when we catch a cold, when, when the rest of the country catches a cold, we catch the flu. Exactly. Uh, and and our restaurants are, are are vital to the community and the culture, uh, not only as a economic engine that provides jobs in a lot of our communities, but also stewards of our culinary heritage and traditions. So um, you know our, our our restaurants, along with those from our our. I'll call them our brother and sister cultures of Asia, Africa, and Latin Americas provide the 
the culinary counterbalance to the sea of sameness <laughs> that is uh, the American restaurant uh, landscape. So they've been struggling. Uh, very few of them received the, uh, you know, these loan programs, and they're 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 starting for the most part in a disadvantageous position. These these other restaurants, these well capitalized, have a head start in the race. You know, they had their number one. They're, they're strong capitalization. You know, you think about some of these big brands. They've got A plus locations. The big thing is. They have really experienced season management and, and operation teams, and I know that because I've, I've 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 worked on those teams. They have huge purchasing economies, not only on goods, but uh, you think about a simple thing like these third-party delivery services. You know, if you're a McDonald's or Burger King or a Popeyes or one of these other behemoths, they pay reduced fees. For those, so those those organizations charge twenty twenty five. The highest I know of is is thirty percent. So those those large organizations start with with an advantage not paying that. Um, you, you you see some of these organizations. I was reading Starbucks and Cheesecake Factory. They went to the landlords and like, yeah, you know, we don't feel like paying rent right now. And for the most part, those landlords have said, okay. Wow! Uh, oh my gosh! Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because uh, and so you know a lot of our restaurants they can't do that. You know, you're a single unit mom and pop operation. You don't have that type of leverage with uh, with with your landlords and and these organizations. And I I, I don't fault them. They're gonna they're uh, if they're smart and some of them are. They're going to grow during this time frame. And the primary reason is a there's going to be some tremendous real estate opportunities out here as, as businesses close. So those that are well capitalized are going to be able to fill in some locations that they need or venture out into to other markets. And the other thing is uh, it is a buyer's market for talent. So I work for a, a brand here and before February, it was a seller's market for talent. We could not find quality general managers, uh, experienced line cooks, customer service representatives, because there were so many opportunities. Uh, but that script is flipped. So there are a lot of people out of work. So it is, it is relatively easy to find uh, quality uh, employees up and down the, uh, uh, the leadership ladder uh, in the restaurant. So. So, like I said, it's 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 tough. The uh, the business is tough. People, you know, I've been in the business for twenty years, and I I meet people or I've got friends, and they're like, oh, you know, you should you should open your own restaurant. I was like, no, I I understand how tough this business is. If you make if you make ten cents on every dollar, you're considered a success, and it's it's a tough, challenging business. It's long hours. It's extremely competitive. It's dangerous. You think about it. You know, you're 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 working in this environment with fires and sharp instruments and slippery floors. Uh, it's 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 highly regulated. But um, uh, black restaurants, or like I said earlier, or 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 even have 
greater challenges than than the the the, the general market. We can we can talk about some of the reasons why. Okay. So, I mean, a lot of this is around like funding and money. I mean, yeah. cash and everything around this. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it involves like getting federal assistance. A lot of it, you know, comes from, I guess, coming from like, you know, how you got the money, whether it be through loans, whether it be through, because I know like getting it from like a regular bank isn't going to be like an option. It was a hard enough option for them to start off with getting this money from just a traditional bank because not a lot of banks are giving out loans. Even this was even before the pandemic. So with everything going down now, what available resources are there to these companies to or businesses to at least stay afloat, one, but two, to even start to thrive, as you say? Yeah, it's 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 a challenge. Most most of these businesses, not all of them, but the majority are uh, sole proprietorships. Most of them run on either a fast casual type or a QSR model. Okay. Um, the, the, obviously, there are some that are 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 full service, sit down service. But like I said, majority are located where their clientele are. Uh, which is uh, uh, adjacent to uh, or, or very near African-American uh, residential markets. Uh, I think one thing that surprises a lot of people as I, as I talk who aren't really highly engaged in this is, is how varied the cuisine types are. It's, you know, it's, oh, it's just soul food and seafood shacks and wing houses. No, they're coffee shops, they're bakeries, they're wine bars. The 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 international uh, there's a lot of international queens obviously dominated by Caribbean and primarily uh, Jamaican menus, but the cuisine types are 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 varied. But you hit it right. It's it's about capital, and I like to say it's not just financial, but it's 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 intellectual capital. So it it is a challenge getting loans. Just like it is, and it, it's a challenge for any restaurant. You, you consider the high failure rate, uh, how capital intensive are. It's it's a challenge for any restaurant to get a uh, to 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 get a loan. But we are uh, burdened with, in some cases, you know, poor credit history. The underwriters, when they look at the locations, they'll penalize it. Oh, that's not in an A plus location. Uh, you're charged higher interest rates, and in some cases, you're, you're, you're not approved for enough capital. And so I've seen numerous stories where people are really want to open a restaurant and they exhaust their, their, their savings or equity in the house or reach out to family and friends and they get a loan and it only covers 50, 60% of what they need to properly open. It's a high interest rate. And many of them, sadly, are, 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 are forced to work a, a second job to maintain their household instead of being in these restaurants on a daily basis, you know, running great shifts and leading the teams, which would deliver great food and great service and engender uh, uh, frequency from their, from their guests. So it's, but the other thing is, is, a lack of, and I'll call it restaurant intellectual capital. A lot of the 
entrepreneurs in these spaces, they came from either chains or, or successful chains or either independent restaurants. So they, they have a strong knowledge of some of those foundational elements. So finance, how do you how do you effectively manage a P&L? How do you do menu and product costing and labor models and understand operations in terms of inventories and PARs and, and, and food safety or marketing, which is my world in terms of branding, uh, menu design and engineering and advertising and third-party delivery. But in a lot of cases, they don't come from those backgrounds. And uh, I, I, I know a story of a, uh, a friend of mine who ran a worked for one of the larger casual dining concepts and ran a hundred unit division for 15 years. So uh, very uh, well steeped in, in operations. And a friend of him reached out and said, Hey, I got a buddy of mine who's got a very successful restaurant. And I want to say it was in Georgia somewhere. Uh, You're going to be in town. Can you spend half a day with him and help him out? It's like, yeah. So he went there and great guy, very successful uh, real estate uh, broker who opened a restaurant, had been open five years, and was losing money and had a lot of sales. And he couldn't, he didn't understand why. He went in in the course of a day and subsequent phone calls, was able to turn that business around. The guy had no understanding what his food cost was, so he didn't know what to price. Um, uh, it was a, We'll call it one of those Southern meat and threes. So it was a heavy side concept with macaroni, cheese, green beans, sweet potatoes. And he went in the kitchen and the, the they prepped the food every day in these disposable aluminum trays like you buy at Walmart. You know, the big ones that you get that you might make turkey in. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so they were going through 50 or 60 of those a day. And he asked, well, why? Well, I don't want to have to wash them. It's like, okay, how much do these things cost? Well, Jack goes down to Walmart and he pays two to three dollars a day. So you're spending hundred and eighty dollars a day on pants when you could buy <laughs> you could go to your local restaurant supply house and buy, you know, spend seven hundred dollars to get all the pants you need and hire a dishwasher for fifty dollars a day to wash them. So it's like like I said, there's there's a lot of basic knowledge that not in all cases, but in a lot of cases aren't out there. So to long way to answer your question, I think it's, it's one finding some ways and providing some, some, some training to, to help these individuals access the lowest cost capital as possible. Um, uh, and then secondly, providing some training and mentors on the operation side. Uh, 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 providing, and that's one of the things I'm working on the side is putting together some educational modules and tools with some friends to help, you know, some some training materials that we can provide free across to say, hey, these are this is how you do, uh, this is how you man, just the basics. This is how you manage a PNL. This is how you price a menu. This is how you cost out the items and determine what you should should uh, charge. Here's some basic uh, marketing ideas. Um, thing I'm passionate about right now is third-party delivery. A lot of people think that that does not make running for restaurants. That is a misnomer. Uh, you can make a tremendous amount of money uh, using these Ubers and DoorDashes and third-party deliveries. You have to 
you have to re-engineer your menu a little differently. You have to do some things differently. But uh, uh, delivery, people want delivery. Even pre-pandemic, you look at the success of, of Jimmy John's, and that business model is based almost entirely on, you know, get it there and, and, and get it fast. And uh, so there, there is ways to, to, to make money. And I'm just talking and talking and talking. So you all let me do it. I will. <laughs> no, you're silent. No, no, no. Um, actually, this is fascinating. And I'm glad that you brought that up because I know um, from my background, before we started the Gourmet Goober, um, I used to work with restaurants with a startup that's called Dish Crawl. So um, where okay. I organize food tours um, for local area restaurants in Northwest Indiana and Chicago. And I maintained a relationship with them even after the startup had ended. And I know the feedback that I got from a lot of them was that these third-party apps in many ways have been hurting their business. So hearing this side of being able to kind of re you know, restructure your restaurant and your pricing module to better work with the delivery. That's kind of fascinating. I, I haven't well, heard here, that side of it. Here's the thing. There was, a, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, there was a chef actually there in Chicago who, who put out on social media, it was a statement of account from Grubhub okay. where I think he had $1,000 in sales and the end of the day, the bottom line, he had $300. Right. I think I saw that, actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But if you go through that and you look through there, you realize that $400, let's, the, 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 I don't know what Grubhub charges. I think it's a sliding scale. Uh, I have not worked with them, but we'll, we'll assume it's, it's 25%. So most of them are 20 25%. Like I said, uh, the consumer mindset is, especially now, and I, I think there are going to be some semi-permanent changes in that. I think people have, have getting acclimated to some of these third-party services and the convenience uh, that it provides is that I want delivery. So me as a restaurant, if I wanted to set up a delivery service where I would have to hire somebody, there's an expense there. I would have to create systems. There's an expense there. Here's a big one. If they're driving, I've got to cover the cost of their insurance because mm -hmm. this guy could go off and accidentally run into somebody and the liability flows back to the restaurant. I've got to pay that. You can't set that up for 25% of the, the cost. So let's pivot back to that, that particular individual. I think it was about $150 of that the 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 revenue that he lost was based on mistakes that they made so the delivery service providers they err to the side of the customer so i didn't get an item the item was screwed up uh the item was prepared improperly uh in, in a lot of cases they charge that directly back to the restaurant so you really have to be on top of that so I think it was about 130 or $150 of that was errors on that restaurant's part. And there's, there's a different level of care that needs to be taken with those third-party orders because you don't have the ability, like in a restaurant, to correct that or rectify that situation. So 
uh, once it leaves, it is what it is. So, you know, restaurants that I've worked at and best practice in training is if it is a go order or if it is a third party, you need to double check and make sure it's it's correct and and proper. So that's the other thing. Now, all of these these delivery platforms have marketing programs that you can participate in. So uh, it's all about showing up high on the phone in the algorithm. So if you pay Grubhub, you know, I want to do a buy one, get one free pizza, then you're going to show up higher in the algorithm. And that particular restaurant had three or $400 of these marketing. So that was a conscious decision they made to participate in that marketing program. So you take that three, $400 plus $100, $150 for the uh, mistakes, and you add it to that, and you're like seven, $800 on $1,000 in sales. So um, I, I saw that, and I started digging through that, and it's just like, it goes viral. And so, oh, oh, the restaurants, the, the, these third-party delivery services are, are, are killing these restaurants. And they are, but like I said, there are some things you can do uh, from the restaurant perspective where uh, the damage is not as severe and you can actually make money. Well, that's really good perspective. And I'm really glad you shared that because I know I've seen that and actually um, T and I were talking about that earlier as well. Um, so in this environment... No, don't get me. No, I, I want to be clear here. I'm, I'm not an advocate for these services, but I'm saying in this in this current environment, and and consumer mindset, they want to utilize these services. You just have to be smart. Uh, if you if you've got an item where you don't make a lot of money, don't put it on the don't put it on the, the DoorDash menu. You don't have to put everything on the on your DoorDash menu. Uh, you uh, some of the services give you some flexibility with the pricing. You don't have to charge what you charge in the restaurant. You can charge a little bit more. Uh, to cover those fees, so there, there, like I said, there's a way, some ways to navigate around that, and still, but don't. I don't want to be standing here as a, as a, as a, as a, as a advocate for restaurants saying that I, I uh, totally agree with these, these, these outrageous charges that uh, these companies charge. Right. So during this time, um, mm-hmm. what? Is what would you recommend is the best way that we can support our favorite restaurant um, right now? I mean, I've heard things like everything from buying um, gift certificates to calling the restaurant themselves and picking it up and kind of bypassing the third yeah. party other if you can. Do that you have any be, suggestions? Yeah, that's th- those two. Uh, one, helping them with uh, awareness. So those restaurants that you really care about, make sure you're following them on all their social channels and sharing uh, periodically or more than periodically uh, their specials or events or what they're doing whenever possible, uh, not being lazy and and bypassing the third-party delivery services and calling or using their online services to order so they get uh, fully compensated for the food. Uh, purchasing gift cards. You know, now is a great time. Uh, we call it dads and grads for, for graduates or for Father's Day to purchase gift cards for these, uh, for, for a lot of these uh, organizations. 
I've seen other individuals, and this might have passed, but during the height of the pandemic, where we were supporting the first line uh, defenders, the EMT drivers, uh, the hospitals, the nurses, the doctors, where they would create GoFundMe campaigns to feed those individuals and link those to some of your 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 favorite restaurants. But uh, uh, right now, like I said, if you're if you're comfortable visiting the restaurants, continue to visit the restaurant. If not, uh, order in. Uh, uh, but make sure you try to try, try to bypass the third party delivery if you can. Uh, look at the gift cards, and I think the big thing is keeping them front and center in the hearts and minds of of your friends and associates on social media. As you see those things, uh, their specials and posts, pitch Canada, share those and like and comment. That is great. Well, Derek, we really want to thank you for being our first ever guest on the Gourmet Goober podcast. And just for being just a really great collaborator with our content. We are really thrilled to partner with such a great organization like SoFoodie for that. So where can our listeners find SoFoodie on social media and online? Oh, you can find us. All the traditional places, except for probably TikTok. My my daughter is trying to get me to get on TikTok, but uh, uh, the handle is at Soul Foodie, and it's with a PH, not an F. And we are most active on Twitter, uh, and followed by uh, Facebook and Instagram. Instagram right now is sort of my little play pace where I I, I have more fun there uh, than I do. Uh, on 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 Twitter and Facebook, and then uh, at the the website, you can sign up for our email uh, as well at uh, soulfoodie.com. And I want to tell the listeners as well: please sign up for their email newsletter content. Um, I get it, and I really love it. It's something I look forward to all the time. So, mm-hmm. if you guys can do that, definitely do that and support Derek and the great team there. They've been amazing to work with. And finally, we and every show is, you know, um, being a listener, sharing the best thing we ate this week. That's whether it's restaurants or meals that you make or just, you know, anything in between. Um, we just we love here food here, obviously, the gourmet Coover, and we want to advocate for it as much as we can this week being our first guest. Um, we will turn the reins to the best thing you ate this week. Over to you to close out oh, this show. Oh, boy. I'm I know. No <laughs> so just thinking in terms of if there's anything phenomenal, like a recipe that you made or, you know, just a local place that you want to give a shout out. And no, show some I haven't been out. We've been quarantined. So I haven't been out. We've been cooking a lot. And I'm trying to think the last week. Two things. So um, I made one day last week. Oh, I made uh, like some traditional Mexican street tacos. So or mm. a carne asada. So I had skirt steak, which I marinated in some olive oil and lime juice and uh, chili powder and cumin. And I don't have a grill because I live in a in a high rise. So we, we 
charred that on the uh, in a really hot cast iron skillet, about medium rare to medium. Cut it on a bias real thin, and we I served it on a just traditional, you know, California style. These small corn tortillas with uh, fresh chopped uh, red onions and cilantro and a little little hot sauce, and you have to have a squeeze of lime. Uh, so that's one thing. And then my daughter is uh, in high school, and she decides she's going to go vegetarian. So she didn't eat that. So I made her some macaroni and cheese. And there's been a lot of controversy on the on the internet recently over macaroni and cheese recipes. And I I do the traditional route with the bechamel um, uh, sauce, but I I did a little differently. I found they had a uh, smoked gouda at Costco. So. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. I hadn't, I had not done that, so we uh, uh, didn't have the same color, but flavor-wise, it was, it was pretty killer. So it was, uh, yeah. I am a so huge. Those, those be my two yeah. Sorry, you were saying. <laughs> no, I said those would be my. Those would be the best thing I've, I've eaten in the last week to ten days. Okay, first of all, that sounds really, really good. And second of all, if I can say, my husband, Big Daddy, even though he does not like mac and cheese, he what? made this. Wait, wait, I know, wait, I know. Wait, rewind, back up. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should have mentioned that. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you so much. My family, every time he comes over, they're like, he's the one who doesn't like mac and cheese, right? And I'm like, yes, yes. But, but we, uh, I, I don't know what time. We, I have to explore this. How, I, how does that happen? <laughs> Do you is want it to? A, is, is it a texture thing? Is it you're lactose intolerant? Um, I think part of it is you're lactose intolerant, right? Yeah, it's all of the above. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, all right. Well, I would great. power through it because I too am lactose empower, intolerant, but it's mac and cheese. You power through it. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 a. Well, I could say before pandemic, it was especially, it was not, I mean, we have one for Christmas. I make one for Thanksgiving and then maybe once other time during the year, we would have it. It's not something that we would cook often, but I, I think I've made four batches of it since this pandemic started. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, just, <coughs> it's an easy, comforting, warm, oh. yeah, yeah, soothing food. And if you ever get a chance to make it and put it in the smoker, because even though I can say, even though my husband does not like mac and cheese, he makes a mean smoked mac and cheese. I think the recipe, you know, I think I put the recipe on our website. It's an older recipe. I'll I'll try to reshare it in the show notes. But if you ever the smoke good it and then you put it in the smoker for how long did you do it? That was a solid hour. It was about an hour. Oh my gosh, it is amazing. So, it's, so you make it traditional. Now, do you do the bechamel way, or are you one of the this team eggs and butter and um, uh, whichever method you use? You just don't bake it. You put it in the smoker. Correct. Yes. Oh, do you finish it, it in the oven or to get that that crispy crust? Yeah, it always has to have a light. Uh, crust not too much like not not too heavy handed but right. it's the fun part is like mixing in the different forms of like cheese and the best cheeses to 
smoke, like the Googles oh. and cheddars, just having okay. fun with the different cheeses. It is right. amazing. So I do recommend it if you're a fan. All right. All right. One day when I get access to a smoker again, I'll have to I'll have to add that to the to the list. All right. Excellent. Well, Derek, thank you for being our guest today. We really do appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and everybody do us a favor. Go check out SoFoodie.com. You can, of course, always find me on um, Twitter at JJ Outlaw. Tell me what you think of it. Um, I'm on Instagram at um, The Gourmet Goober. And Big Daddy, where can they find you again on social media? Once again, you can find me at T Outlaw on Twitter and T Outlaw Josie Wells, like the movie, on Instagram. <laughs> so okay. for all of us here at the Gourmet Goober Podcast and for our incredible guest, Derek Kirk, um, thank you for listening. And to next time, happy eating. Happy eating. All right, guys. Have a great day. Thanks.